what this morning? How did you guess that? I love speaking to an intelligent audience. Okay, yeah. In case you haven't figured it out yet, this series is called Go. Pray with me. Father God, thank you for the chance we have to study your word together, to learn from you, to listen to you. A big part of worship is us speaking, praying, singing to you, even giving to you. Father, uh, we really worship you when we just say, Lord, teach us. Teach us. And teach us what it looks like to follow you. So make us followers in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28 today. Matthew chapter 28. My name is Pastor Dale. If I haven't met you yet, I would love to meet you out in the plaza afterwards. And uh, donuts are on me, if you're new. The rest of you got to pay up, but anyway. You know, at times, life can be boring. I don't know if you ever experienced that. You ever just kind of feel like, you know, life is just too routine. At least for me, I bumped into that a number of times. And when it is boring, when you do just kind of feel like it's the same stuff, another day, another week, maybe even another year of the old stuff. One thing for me, at least, that breaks the boredom is a good mystery. I love a good mystery. Um, how many of you like mysteries? How many of you don't like mysteries? You just kind of like answers. <laughs> you know, I, I love a good mystery. Uh, my wife loves a good mystery book. She absorbs mystery books. I'm not as big a reader as she is. I like a good mystery movie or a good TV show or a good series in which they always kind of leave me hanging. And, you know, and the mystery, especially if it's a great one, you know, always involves a good versus evil, heroes and villains, good guys, bad guys. You know, and whether it's a book or a movie or even if it's like the old board game, which was called Clue. Yeah, some of you. What age are you? Do you know Clue? Do you have Clue? And you're, you're under the age of 40 and you knew Clue. I'm impressed. That means you got an old dad. That's what that means. Yeah, okay. Yeah, you know, but Clue's kind of fun, you know, because you got to figure out the name of the game on a mystery, whether it's a movie, whether it's a TV show, whether it's a book, or whether it's the old board game Clue, is to figure out the answers to the basic questions. See, the investigator always asks, who did it? Why did they do it? In fact, I'll bring these up. Who did it? Why did they do it? What did they do? How did they pull it off? And where did it happen? And, you know, in other words, you're asking the questions behind the story. You kind of know the end of the story already. I mean, you see the crime in the beginning, in the opening scene, but then you've got to figure out who, why, what, how, and where if you're going to unlock the mystery. Now, those are great questions. In fact, they can entertain me. It helps me escape from real life and the pressures of life. If I can just be entertained by looking at a good mystery and asking the question, who, why, what, how, where? And once I kind of finish answering those questions, it's kind of like the pieces uh, all fall into place. Well, they're great questions if you want to be entertained. But let me kind of twist those questions a little bit this morning because I think that when you move from mere entertainment into real life, those same questions come up, but they become vitally more important. When I direct those questions to a different mystery, now they really get kind of challenging, okay? And the mystery I'm talking about is the mystery of me. 
In other words, when I look in the mirror and I get up in the morning and I ask those questions, that's a different set of questions. And I would kind of want to set this series up today by saying to you that I think that you might be the most important mystery in your life. Because when you look in the mirror, do you know right away, who am I? Why am I? What do I? How can I? Let me double up the how. How should I and where will I? Now, what do I mean by those? Let me just give you a little teaser. In other words, when you look at who am I, we're talking about your identity. We're talking about not just the the picture on the... I mean, I can pull out my driver's license. I can show a a government-certified ID. I can pull out a passport that's even better that will answer the question of who am I. It can answer the question of, you know, the basics of my name, my address. Maybe even what I do for a living. But then why am I? I mean, who am I? Why am I around? When I get up and I go to work and I do a job, but I I know know what I do. That's the next one. But do I know why I do what I do? And then sometimes you look at what you want to do and why you want to do it, and you go, wow, how can I ever do that? Because sometimes there's things that I want to be part of my identity and my purpose. My identity, who am I? My purpose, why am I? My, my, my role in this life, what do I? What should I be doing? What's my role? What's my identity? What's my purpose? How can I? That's my ability. You know, how can I really pull this off? I think one of the number one problems most of us face, in fact, I was reminded this past uh, week, uh, actually a week before last, I spent a week in, in Dallas, Texas. I had the privilege of teaching a doctoral class on, on leadership called The Life of the Leader uh, at, at my old alma mater, Dallas Seminary, and I thank you for freeing me up as a church to do that. It's a great opportunity to do that. Met an incredible guy, by the way, from where, you know, we have a real passion for Africa over here on the wall, if you haven't noticed, and uh, met uh, the director of missions for an 8 million member uh, church movement in Ethiopia. And uh, so you as a church had a chance to help that man uh, named Tessima, if you want to remember his name and pray for him, as he tries to direct the missions movement uh, of this 8 million member, 5,000 church movement in Ethiopia. That's a tough place to be a Christian right now if you haven't noticed the news. But but as, as I spent time with him and as I spent time at that class, a lot of the questions we were answering and asking the answer is, who am I? Why am I? What can I do? What, what can I do? How can I do it? As I spent time at that class, I was reminded of a mentor of mine, uh, Dr. Howard Hendricks, who when I was coming out of my graduate program at this school, and at the time it was one of the hardest schools in the country to get into, so it had a pretty high caliber set of students. But I remember I met with him right before I graduated, and he said, Dale, you know the number one problem I see at the, the graduates of this seminary, uh, graduating guys with their master's in theology, extremely well-trained, educated. You know, they were the top of their class to even get in this place. He said, the number one problem I see, and I said, what is it? And he said, a lack of confidence. He said, very few of our graduates really believe that with God's help, they can do something significant. He said, they don't just, they just don't get how high their potential is 
especially as followers of Christ. So sometimes we just lack self-confidence. We say, yeah, I kind of know what I think I want to do, and i got a purpose and, and a role I want to play, but I'm not, I'm not sure I can do it. Where's my confidence come from? And then how should I do it? What's, what's my lifestyle as a Christian? And, and then where is it that God wants me to be doing whatever he wants me to do for him? The series we're beginning today, uh, I love the subtitle that our creative team came up with. And if you look at the cover of your bulletin, you'll see it. And that is, this is going to be a series about ordinary people. So don't think this is a series for pastors, missionaries, and super Christians, all right? This is not a super Christian series. But this is, a, 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 this is going to be a series. We're going to try to talk to ordinary people like you and me. We're going to talk about ordinary people hearing the call of God, of what God really wants to call us to do and to be, how God would answer the question, who are you? Why are you? What do you do? How do you do it? How should you do it? And where do you do it? If we look for God's answers to those six questions, then I think that can change our lives. I really believe that. Because that's the mystery most of us really deal with every day. It's the mystery of me, in the mirror, knowing how to answer those questions. Now, I don't know about you, but that gets me jazzed. I am excited about this series, and I hope you are too. So I'm going to double pray. I prayed in the beginning. I'm praying again because this is a big series. Father God, help us, as Ryan and I teach through this series, help us to be able to help one another to unpack the mystery of me, to understand the mystery of who we are, why we are, what we can do, how we can go about being a person that understands how to go, to go on behalf of Christ into our everyday world as ordinary people. That's my prayer. So would you do that, please, in Christ's name? Amen. Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse 18. I call it Great Questions from the Great Commission. If there's any passage in Scripture that would launch a series entitled Go, I think this is my favorite. So here we go. Pick it up. Verse 18. And Jesus came up and spoke to them. Now what's going on here? Let me set the stage. Jesus has already died on the cross for their sins and for ours. Jesus has been buried. He's been resurrected from the dead. And he spent about 40 days hanging out with his disciples. He appeared to them individually at times, like with Peter, one-on-one, and talked him through his, his, uh, his guilt and his, and his hang-ups and, and asked him, do you really love me? And if so, then I want you to go and feed my sheep. He met with the other disciples in a private room, the other 11. Judas is dead, okay? He met with the other 11 and he talked with them and then he said, I want you to go into all the world. He met at times with groups as big as 500 in a crowd, and he met sometimes with them in, as individuals. But the common theme was, he said, I'm getting ready to go back to heaven, and I'm going to send you to change my world. That's the setting. This is toward the end of that time. This is most likely the last conversation Jesus had. There's several accounts of it. In coming weeks, we'll look at the Acts chapter 1 account. In fact, I'll preview it in a few minutes. But the bottom line is Jesus gathers and he says, I'm going to go, but I'm going to send my spirit, but I need to give you your final direction. And this is what he said to them before he ascended into heaven. He said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. 
Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, behold, I am with you. Interesting thing to say the last minute before he leaves. Isn't that interesting? Right before he's going to leave, he says, I am with you always, even to the age, even to the end of the age. And then he leaves. See, if you look at that passage, uh, I love this passage because I think it in one single two verses, really, in verses 19 and 20, he's going to answer five of the six questions. He misses one of them, but that's all right. He had already answered it, and I'll show you where in a few minutes. So today is kind of an overview. I want to give you the big picture of the series and try to begin to address these these five, six key questions in the mystery of you and me. Number one, who am I? That's the question of our identity. Who am I, my identity? In this passage, he calls us disciples. He says that he, he, says he, he, came, he spoke with his disciples, and he said, therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations. Make disciples of all the nations. A disciple, basically, of Jesus is a learner. It's, it's a follower. It's a word that's used in a very common way as a word that simply means a student of someone else, someone who studies under a, another teacher or another master and wants to learn from them. And so in, in a way, it can be something as simple as an academic person that studies under somebody, but it's obviously that Jesus is using it in, in, in a deeper way. It's obvious that Jesus is using it as a synonym for a follower of his. It's not just an admirer, it's someone who has chosen to follow Jesus. There's all kinds of other aspects of our identity which we'll unpack in different weeks. You know, we're children of God, we're forgiven, free, forever secure, we're citizens of a new kingdom, we're gifted as part of the body of Christ. We're going to be called things like witness, an ambassador, an alien, that's a fun sermon, salt, light, and a whole lot more. But, but the one thing I want you to see first is Jesus says, I want you to go, and I want you to, as you go, I want you to make disciples. So our identity is that I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. Now, what does that mean? But let me define it by contrast of what it does not mean. I think in our culture today, because Christianity has become so commonplace, I think a lot of people who would identify as a disciple of Jesus are really more fans than followers. Are you a fan of Jesus or are you a follower of Jesus? A lot of people are fans of Jesus. I was on a flight back from Dallas just uh, last week when I was returning from my course. And uh, on the flight back, it's interesting how God does interesting things. They tell us, the, the, you know, the plane is full. They make that announcement. Make sure you put, you know, your, you, you, you know, put the one bag up in the top, put the other bag under your seat. Can I confess one of my sins, by the way? Just to show how real I am, I never put the bag under the seat. I always put both bags over the bin and pray that they won't notice. So anyway, I'm just telling you, I'm real, okay? So that's, you know, but if that's my worst sin, my wife says I'm doing pretty well. But, you know, but, but the reality is this, uh, you know, I, so I put my bags up and I'm sitting down and they tell us the plane is full and it looks like it's totally packed. 
Now, this is Southwest Airlines, so you get to pick your seat, right? So I get on the very first of my group, you know, because as a follower of Jesus, the, the first will, well, no, the first needs to be first. <laughs> Yikes. Okay, so anyway, so I, so I don't, I don't, I don't want to be the first to be last guy. So I get on, and I get a nice aisle seat, and there's a guy sitting on the window, and the middle seat's empty. And, and then it begins to fill up. And you know what you're all hoping for? What are you hoping for? Nobody to sit there, right? Okay, now every middle seat I could see on the whole plane filled up except mine now i kind of see that as more than a coincidence and so i've got a man sitting on the window i later learn his name is tip mcguffey uh and uh tips from iowa and uh, and, and it's just one of these opportunities where god created the only place on the plane with an empty seat is between me and tip now, I'm not a big plain evangelist, so again, let me just say I'm an ordinary guy. Normally, I want to kind of be left alone and read or listen or watch something on the iPad. But, but this time, it was like, okay, God, I'm, and I'm saying, God, if you want me to talk with Tip, can you open the conversation and we'll see where it goes. Next thing I know, I'm into this, this conversation, getting to know Tip, and he's a great guy. He works for a company out of Oceanside, actually, that installs uh, very expensive, really nice uh, doors that where the whole wall becomes a door, one of those things. That's what they specialize in. And he's a specialist in this. And he lives in Iowa and they fly him all around the country. And we're talking and we're getting to know each other. You know, and, and I'm just looking for a chance to just listen. And, and I just listened to him and just kept asking him questions about his life and his family. And I find out he's, you know, the blah, blah, blah. And then I, I actually took an opening. I found out he lives in Des Moines, Iowa. So I happen to know a guy who pastors a good church in Des Moines, Iowa. So I said, you know, I've got a friend who pastors a really cool church in Des Moines called Valley Church. He says, oh, yeah, I, I've heard of that. So I said, well, so tell me a little bit about your, kind of your spiritual life. Do you, have you ever been there? He says, oh, no, man. He says, I, I don't go to church. My wife grew up Catholic. Um, I grew up going to a Christian church. Uh, neither of us really have much time for that. I said, really? I said, man, I said, it's made a big difference in my life. And if you ever want to check out a place where I think you could really experience a church that's very different from the churches you grew up in, you say, yeah, I didn't like those. I said, well, this church is one I think you would like. He says, why did you say that? So we had a conversation. So make a long story short, um, what I learned is Tip is a fan of Jesus. Because then Tip says, hey, man, don't get me wrong. He says, I believe in Jesus. I have a Bible. And in fact, it's right in my nightstand, in the drawer. And I'm thinking, you know, just like the typical hotel, right? It, it, that's where it belongs, in the nightstand, in the drawer. Probably hadn't been out of the drawer in years. You know, so, but, but, he, but, but if you ask him, are, are, you a, are you a follower of Jesus? He would say, well, yeah, I like Jesus. And I think there's a lot of people in our culture that are fans of Jesus, but I don't think he's a follower. I don't think he's a follower. Some people are listeners, but I don't think they're learners. In other words, you like to listen to me talk about Jesus, but do you really say, you know, I want to learn from Jesus. I want to be taught by Jesus. I want to be discipled by Jesus. See, that's different than just listening to someone give a talk about Jesus and saying, wow, Jesus, he's pretty cool. So I think in our culture, it's easy to be a fan or a listener. Here's another one. It's easy to be a spectator, but not a player. And I want to tell you that this series that entitled Go, you could probably guess, is going to be not about being a fan, listener, and a spectator about Jesus. We're going to be challenging one another 
to figure out what's it look like for us to actually play the game, to get in the game with Jesus, to be involved with the game that Jesus is playing out on planet Earth. So are we spectators, like to listen to about Jesus, maybe even cheer for Jesus from the fans, from the stands, or are we actually on the team, and do we know who we are, why we are, what we do, how God has wired us as members of his team. That's what I mean by being a player. And the last one is, I think in our culture today, there's a lot of users of Jesus without being servants of Jesus. And the reason I draw this distinction is I I think it's popular to say, you know something, I need help in life, and when I need help in life, my go-to guy is Jesus. It's church. You know, whenever I'm hurting or confused or need prayer or need help or there's another 9-11, I need some spirituality. So in our culture, it's okay to say God is there for me to use him whenever I need him. There's nothing wrong with using God. I think God likes to be used. I don't think he just wants to just be used. I think God is looking for servants of Christ, followers. So are we a follower, a learner, a player, a servant? Are we in the game with Jesus? Where we know what it means for an ordinary person like you and me, but don't think of me because I know that's, I'm a weird, I am not normal. Can you say that? Say Dale is not normal. Say that. Dale is not normal. Say Ryan is very not normal. (laughs) Yeah. You know, because, you know, Ryan, he goes over to Israel and he, he runs around the Holy Land and studies archaeology. And, the, and the, that's not normal. It's great. And I'm glad he did it, you know, because he can teach us better. But it's not the norm. You know, the norm is, are you? You know, the norm is you don't work for a church. We're the weird ones. So this series is not about people that work for churches or people that are missionaries. It's about normal people with everyday jobs trying to say, what's it look like? to be a follower, learner, player, servant of Jesus out in your everyday world. So I want you to see that because I know as soon as I read this passage, you are picturing missionaries getting on planes. Some of you maybe ought to be a missionary that gets on a plane. We'll come to that later in the series. But that's not the normal, ordinary person. Who am I? I'm a follower, learner, player, servant. That's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. By the way, I love one little thing I've never noticed in this passage. I've taught this a bunch of times. But I always start in verse 18 and I miss verse 17. Let me show you how normal Jesus' disciples were. It says this, And when they saw Jesus, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. Do you realize that these guys had been around Jesus after his resurrection? And, and these are the cream of the crop, and some were still doubtful. So when you sit there and you have some doubts about Jesus, you have some doubts about your faith, you have some doubts about exactly your answering the question, who are you, why are you, how can, you, how can I pull this off? If you have doubts, you are, what's the word? Normal. You're normal, not abnormal. You're like the original disciples of Jesus. Number two, let's go on. I want to spend most of my time on who am I, but secondly, why am I? See, there's hints in this passage on all of these things. What's my purpose? 
See, Jesus begins with this word, go. Now, it's interesting that when you study this passage in Greek, it's translated, it translates a little bit differently. Because the word go is actually not a, a, a verb, it's a participle. So the, the, the real command in this Bible is not go. The real command on the surface is to make disciples. So making disciples is what we're going to be focusing on doing. But, but, but he says, go and make disciples. Now, it's not a bad translation. Because uh, sometimes in the, in the Greek language the Bible is written in, some participles have such power that they're called imperatival participles. That's a weird grammatical term. It just means this. Sometimes it means it's, it's a command that is linked up to the main verb. So you could translate this. As you are going, make disciples. Or because you are going, make disciples. Or since you're going, make disciples. Or I like just, hey... You're going to be going, so make disciples. So what I want to picture, help you picture from that, is Jesus is, is not really commanding them to go. He's assuming that they're going to be going. Because all of us are going. That's the idea. If you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, part of your reason for existing is to be one who is sent. One who is going. That doesn't mean you're going on a plane to Africa like I will be later this year, or some of the rest of you will be going with me. But what it does mean is we all go somewhere as disciples. We are a going movement. The Father sent the Son. Jesus was sent, the, you, know, you know, we all send. You know, the Father sent the Son, the Son sends the Spirit, and then the Father, Son, and the Spirit are sending you and me. It is a sending type of a movement that we belong to number three so if why i am is to go and who i am is my identity as a disciple then what i do is i'm, I'm i go to make more disciples very simple make disciples for jesus and he even breaks down how you make disciples in verse 19 go therefore make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the father son of the holy spirit teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Three things. Go with the gospel, and then baptize those who believe, because baptism was, was a point of publicly identifying yourself as a new follower of Jesus. And if you've never done that, it doesn't save you, it doesn't give you eternal life, but if you've never done that, uh, we'll do that uh, two or three times a year here at Seacoast and sign up because it's a way you publicly declare to the world that you are a disciple of Jesus. So we're going with the gospel, baptizing new followers, and then teaching them. And, and, and notice how, how he emphasizes what we are to teach them. Does he say, and teach them correct theology? Answer, No. Not that now correct theology is good. We teach a lot of theology here, but notice the emphasis, teaching them to observe or obey all that I commanded you. In other words, what we're teaching people is the art of actually obeying Jesus. Jesus says, here's how we live, live it. Jesus says, here's what you do, do it. And if you want a simple definition of spiritual maturity, according to this passage, just am I willing to do what Jesus and the scriptures tell me to do? It's a great mark of spiritual maturity. So what do I do? I'm making disciples that learn how to follow Jesus. We are a part of a, glo a global growing movement 
of people that really want to follow Jesus. Not just believe in Jesus, but believe in Him in the sense that if you really believe He is who He said He was, then you follow. Followers of Jesus. You say, well, Dale, here it is. How can I do this? Because, you know, I've heard sermons like this before, and I've been frustrated before trying to pull it off. We're going to come and do a whole sermon just on this one question of how can I, because that's the question of ability. Do I have the ability to actually do this? Can I, as an ordinary person, go into my everyday world and in some way go and bring Jesus Christ into my everyday world in such a way that people come to know Christ, love Him, and begin to be followers? And wow, guess what? I just changed somebody's eternity. Now, if you want something that should get you out of bed in the morning and ready to go to work wherever you work, or go to school wherever you go to school as a student, or to, or to wake up and meet and, and network in your neighborhood as a mom or a dad, it's the idea, wow, maybe God will use me today to change somebody's life so they have a better week. No, so they have a better month. What if you could change their life so they actually have a better life until they die? That's pretty cool, right? But what if you could change their life in such a way that they actually have a better eternity? See, that's when life gets exciting. See, what, that, that's when the mystery gets worth solving. When I say, who am I? Why am I? How can I? How should I? What can I do? How can I really pull this off? And Jesus answers it with two statements. He says, I am with you always. Emphasizing He's going to send His Spirit to empower us. And then He says, and by the way, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So believe me, I've got all the authority in heaven and earth. And I'm never going to leave you because even though I'm going back to heaven, I'm going to send my spirit to live in you. And because of that, you can have confidence. Not in yourself, but in me. See, as, you know, living this kind of a radical lifestyle where we actually go and make a difference, that threatens me. It scares me. i got to admit, and, and I'm a pastor. I'm a professional. I'm a professional Christian. And I still get afraid of what if I talk about Jesus too much? Are they going to get mad at me if I change their eternity? You hear the foolishness of that statement? But, you know, but, but even though it sounds foolish, yeah, I got my fears, you got your fears. How do we deal with that? We're going to talk about that in this series. We're not, we're not going to do it today. But I want you to know, I know that the fears are there. It's interesting, the only thing Jesus gives two statements to are things that would help their insecurity and fear. Maybe he knew something about you and me. Question four, how should I? That's a question of lifestyle. This is the one that I think Jesus doesn't even address in this passage. How should I? That's a question of lifestyle. But the short answer is, he gave it to him earlier in Matthew 5.13 when he says, be salt and light. Just go into the world and don't be weird or obnoxious. The world has enough weird Christians. Amen? Yeah. We've all known them. We've all been them. You know, the type of person that takes what should be a contagious thing called Christianity that just spreads naturally and we, and we make it, we turn it from contagious Christianity to contentious Christianity. And I don't think God ever designed that to be the way the gospel spreads. We get so caught up in the culture wars that we quit loving the culture. 
Let me tell you something. The culture wars have been fought and we lost. If you don't believe that, just check the culture, check the paper tomorrow. Nothing wrong with the fact that some people still are going to be helping fight those, but I'm telling you, the culture wars have been fought. I think we lost. We live in a non-Christian culture. Learn to deal with it. Because God has placed us at this time, at this place in Southern California, to be the church representing Jesus Christ. And, and the culture is who we're trying to reach. Because where do I go? That's the last one. What is my mission? My mission is all the nations. That we've got to learn to think globally as Christians, but yet when you think, okay, that's Africa... The other version that Luke gives of Jesus' final words goes like this, and go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then to the remotest parts of the earth. So even Jesus said, look, you're going to start where you live. You're going to start in Encinitas. You're going to start in Carlsbad. You're going to start in Del Mar. You're going to start in Oceanside. And then you're going to deal with San Diego. We're going to do something to help San Diegans. They need help. L.A. people, they need a lot of help. Amen? Yeah. So we're going to care about them too. But the, rea- but the reality is, eventually, we've got to go global. But we're going to go both local and global. So what are the implications? See how, even in this passage, I'm, I'm beginning to understand, who am I? Why am I? What can I? What do I do? How can I do it? How should I do it? And where do I do it? And the answer is, I do it in my everyday world. That's normal. And then a few of you will do it overseas. So what are the implications of this? I want to kind of wrap by just sharing a couple quick implications for us as a church. And then we'll bring the band up to lead us in some more worship. Number one, this challenges me to realize that God is on a mission to redeem and restore his world. Now that shouldn't surprise you. Except what it means is that I am not the mission. I think a lot of us think, well, I'm God's mission. You know, God loves me and has a wonderful plan for my life, and that probably takes up most of his time. So God just loves me, and God is all about me. And here's the deal. It's not all about me. God has a bigger picture than me. I'm already going to have a cool eternity with God. So I think God loves me, and I think he's there for me. I don't want to downplay that, but it's not just about me. It's about the world. God's mission is not the church. God's mission is outside of the church. In fact, that's the second point I want to mention. And that is God didn't create a mission for his church. He created the church and you for his mission. Now, there's a very subtle difference because I think traditionally most churches, and I've been tempted to think this way, think of of mission or missions or outreach as one of many things that the church does. And they're all equally important. You know, the church does worship and it does life groups and it does this and it does kids and it does youth and it, you know, it does compassion stuff and it does, you know, it does, it does all these different things. And mission is, is a program in the church. And what this is saying to me and what we believe at Seacoast is we want to begin to think differently because missions is not a program, it's our purpose to bring life to people and glory to god is not a program it's a purpose and everything we do needs to relate back to that purpose god didn't create a mission so his church has something to do he created a church 
for the mission. Number three implication is this. The church therefore gathers us in order to scatter us. That the real action is not just when we gather, as important as this is, and you need to gather and you need to come on time ready to worship because worship is what nurtures your soul, feeds your soul, and prepares you to keep a a, a vibrant love for God and to get you ready to go. Why do you do that? Why do you get in life groups? Life groups are not just so that it helps you survive living in such a tough world that doesn't love us anymore. See, some people think life groups and church is where you escape from the world because it's so bad. Guess what? It's to prepare you to more effectively go into the world. That's what it means to be salt, by the way. You realize how much value salt is in the shaker? Answer? Zero. It's just a cute little artifact on the counter. See, it only helps everything when it gets spread out on the nasty stuff that needs it. Not that calling my wife's cooking nasty. Let's, it's not, not, don't quote me there. <laughs> so the, the church gathers for the purpose of scattering. And then last but not least, the church, therefore God is deploring His church. It's deployment. He deplores His church and us into the world for His mission. The go means be the light, be the salt. Get out there and say, God, wow, do something through me. So in conclusion, um, I ask the question, are you ready to go? Are you ready to say, God, for the next eight weeks, will you teach me how to go? To be serious as a disciple of Jesus, a learner, a servant of the Most High God, to go. But where do you start? You've got a map of Africa. Keep that in mind while you watch this video. I guess it started one morning. I was sitting in church, uh, just a regular Sunday morning, and um, the pastor was talking about missions and long-term and commitment and all of these kinds of things. And I guess normally that would that would impact me a little bit, but this time it was it was different somehow. It was like God was pounding on my chest, and I just got this huge smile on my face, and I was ready. I just started looking at my life and asking myself what would it look like for me to be on mission all the time and devote my life to that and become a missionary, I guess. I remember growing up in church that missionaries would come visit. I was just always captivated by their stories and I knew that there was a a world that was so much bigger than my backyard and that there were people in that world who needed to hear about Jesus. And I just, I've always wanted to get out there and have the ability to to tell people about Jesus and see that transform lives. I just kept hearing the same words, planting seeds, nurture, water, tend, person by person, life by life. Don't wait. You're ready. Just go. I felt like I was kind of waiting around, like, is this something that God would call me into? And 
When would that happen? Where would I go? What would it look like? And then all of a sudden, it was like this lightning bolt. Like, there it is. There it is. It's, I mean, it seemed almost obvious. Some help? Yeah, I just uh, gotta put this in there. Yeah. Thanks. You wanna grab the top? Alright. My name is Bradley Martin, and I am oh, yeah, answering right. God's call to go. And I am a missionary. Pray with me. Father God, um, whether it's go to Africa or go next door and plant a tree. Would you give us the spirit of uh, the disciples of Jesus? Jesus went to give us life. And he's calling us to learn what it means to, to go. Uh, to go across the ocean, if that's what your call is. But until then, to go um, across the street. To go around the world or to go around the block. Teach us what it means to go and love in the name of Christ the world that is at the heart of his mission. And teach us as a church how to change the way we think, how to change the way we live, how to change how we answer the questions in the mystery of who we are. In Christ's name, would you do that, please? If you agree with me, would you say amen?